Right. Right. And of course, it's not it's not uh, it's not an either or Democrat or Republican. There are people on all sides who have all sorts of opinions. But focus on this. Focus on this issue, because um, this is the one that affects all of us every day. And you know what? The other thing that I think is going to be, you know, so, so dangerous. And honestly, it's more sad than dangerous is that there are children who are growing up in this environment. There are children who are, have to walk down the sidewalks and they see things on the sidewalk that I never thought I would see in California. And that is going to be their normal. They're going to think, oh, that's how life is. That's how California is. Have you seen any of that occurring as, you know, we, we expose our children to this over the past decade? Well, yeah, two things for you. First of all, I recently took my own children to a breakfast in Sacramento. And as we walked to the restaurant, there was somebody in the gutter, literally laying in the gutter with a heroin needle in their arm. And I had to explain to my my daughter why that was happening and why it was allowed. Mm-hmm. At the same time this morning, driving in to do this interview with you, uh, I was listening to a story. And then I watched the video of kids going to school in San Francisco and having to be escorted by a group of adults through a drug infested neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It is so maddening to me, all of yeah. it. And it all again, this comes back to the people we are voting for. And to your point, this isn't just a one party thing. Right. There are people. On, on all sides of the aisle that have misguided ideas on criminal justice. But I keep saying we got to dig into the meat and potatoes of these policies and vote for people who are at least more moderate. Mm-hmm. Look at my county, it's all Democrats here. There's no, It's only Democrats. I'm looking for those Democrats who support public safety and law and order. Um, amen. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Quintana Show. Um, today we have a guest that's really important to me, uh, he is maybe one of the longest serving district attorneys in California, uh, 18 years as the district, the district attorney in um, Yolo County. Um, for those of you who aren't in California, which I know is probably most of you, it's uh, right outside of Sacramento, has the University of California, Davis. It's a very, very interesting uh, uh, county. And Jeff can go more into that if he wants, but it's very diverse in the fact that you have like old crusty farmers and then you have a bunch of, you know, like young protesting students at the University of California, Davis. So I'd like to welcome to the show uh, Yellow County District Attorney Jeff Rising. How you doing, Jeff? Great. Thanks for having me. And that was a good intro to my county. And uh, you're right. It is very interesting. Yeah, I mean, it really is, because you go outside of the University of California, Davis, and you're, you know, you got guys that are driving grape trucks. And, you know, it's just it's a whole different world out there, like from Wheatland to to Davis. It is. Yeah. You know, California is so huge. I mean, I remind people we're we're bigger than Canada. Population wise, we're bigger than Australia. We're bigger than every state west of Texas combined population wise. And there's only 58 counties, and that means each one of those counties is like almost like a state um, among its itself. But Yola is right next to Sacramento, so we we have a lot of um, influence in Sacramento politics. Yeah, you really do. I think I think your county punches above its weight when it comes to influencing. Well, being heard, whether you're influencing it or not, that's a different question because unfortunately the legislature here doesn't do great things when it comes to public safety. Uh, you know. My politics are interesting. I mean, I'm pretty liberal, except for uh, criminal justice. On that, I am as conservative as you can be. Maybe it's the way I grew up. As I was telling you before, I did work very briefly for the San Diego District Attorney's Office and right out of law school. And I was on track to become a, you know, prosecutor with their office until I discovered politics. And uh, that's when I 
immediately bailed once I saw the opportunities in politics. But so I may, perhaps that influences, you know, my my opinions. But um, did you always want to be a prosecutor, even right out of out of law school? No, actually, I started off working in the public defender's office, believe it or not. I thought that I was going to work on that side of the aisle. And I worked as a, a certified law student for a number of years. And it was that experience behind the curtain of the criminal defense bar that convinced me that I couldn't do that job, I, that I wouldn't, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't sleep at night with some of the things I saw. And so um, that pushed me uh, towards prosecution. And I've been here ever since, almost 28 years as a prosecutor. Uh, but that experience did help me. You know, it gives me perspective and an understanding of how things work on the criminal defense side. And um, I'm grateful that I had it. Yeah. Um, sounds it's always interesting to meet people that were either a prosecutor, then went to criminal defense or criminal defense and then went to uh, the prosecution side. Uh, I, I like that. It's rare, though. I do like well, not on white collar stuff. Right. But when it comes to like public defender, prosecutors going to the public defender side, that's a little more rare, I think. What you and I are going to talk about today, um, Jeff, is what is happening in California. Um, for those of you who are outside of California, you probably see a lot of it on the news. Um, you probably see, you've seen the video of people running in and out of the Targets and the Walmarts and the, all the other drugstores. You've seen them going into poor people who are just trying to earn a living for their family. They've got a small little you know, store up on a street somewhere in LA and people just come in and steal every freaking hat that they're trying to sell, right? And um, what, what's happening in California is that over the past, I would say mm, since like the 2011, 12 uh, era, we have seen a complete change where the definition of who a victim is has been turned on its head. Um, it used to be the person who was uh, had the gun put in their ribs in California was the victim. Now it's the person who's holding the gun. They're considered the victim by by the leadership of California. Um, and I, it's been wild to watch that 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 switch. What do you think has led to the switch in California as to how they perceive criminal justice? Yeah, well, you just nailed it. I mean, California has been on a an aggressive um, criminal justice reform path since about 2011. And I've been the DA the entire time. And, you know, what we've seen in California, frankly, is a free fall. I mean, California is in a really bad place right now when it comes to public safety. And in my assessment, it is directly caused by a lot of these misguided reforms that have resulted in mass releases from prison, decriminalization, um, et cetera. I mean, it's just it, it's really not a good thing that's happening in California. Well, every change I find it giving my life in politics has and it has people behind it. Um, I think what we've also seen in that since that time period is the rise of I've seen this as a lobbyist in California. Um, it used to be lobbyists were lobbyists for, you know, whatever um, oil companies, insurance companies, hospitals. Um, but now a lot of lobbying happens on behalf of what we call NGOs or nonprofits. And a lot of these NGOs and nonprofits are funded by people who are answerable to no one. 
Um, a lot of billionaires fund these. Are and they are they put together, you know, money from people out of state who have you know huge huge wallets, and they begin lobbying in California for what their vision right of what a society should be. It's amazing. We I was talking about this yesterday with a former legislator, and we were talking about how these NGOs and nonprofits have really just come to the fore as to shaping policy. Um, unfortunately, they're all shaping policy from one direction. So what, what have you seen there? Again, you nailed it. I mean, the, the old saying is follow the money. And when you follow the money in criminal justice and, and what's driving the policies, what you find is, you know, elected officials, whether they're lawmakers or even district attorneys, you know, we're elected, we're elected to four-year terms. When you find, uh, you f follow that path of money to who is funding the campaigns to get those people elected and reelected, you find some very, in my opinion, I mean, I'm just going to say it. I mean, there's some sinister, large national organizations funded by billionaires that see the world in a, in a vastly different way than I see it, where they want to decriminalize drugs and other crimes and, and criminal justice has been one of their primary pursuits for the last decade. And I've seen it in the legislature, just as you said, and I see it with some of my colleagues elected DAs. There's a lot of money being pumped into California to elect these, you know, progressives to reform the system. And it's been a disaster. And all you have to do is look around in California's major cities or walk down the street in San Francisco and you see the results. Yeah, you you know what what it has led to in in my you know what do I know I'm just a goofy Mexican right but what it's led to in my perspective is um, there has always been a social contract and when I worked in the DA's office to me we were part of that social contract and the social contract is you tax us we will send you our money as a citizen and here's what you do for us you provide us with a safe environment so I can walk down the sidewalk and not get knocked out. And then you provide me with a place in which I can nurture a family and I can start a business. I can invest in a business and I can see the you know fruits of my work. That was the social contract that we agreed to when we created governments. In California, over the past decade, I've seen that social contract just completely, completely ripped apart. And Californians are going, what happened here? <laughs> like, what, what happened to the deal? You provide me with safe streets and a place where I can open a business and operate it. And I know that if I have problems, I can call on you and you will come here and you will take care of it. What do you see has happened there, Jeff? Well, I do agree that we are reaching the tipping point in California where people um, have, you know, even people in the middle and people on the left have had enough of what's, what's happening. The, we lead the nation in homelessness. Homelessness is up 51% in California in the last 10 years, while it's down 11% in the rest of the country combined. We re lead the nation um, with retail theft being a crisis in our major cities. We lead the nation in all of these terrible things. And, you know, ultimately, I, I think that, you know, these, the progressive reform movement has gone way too far and they've lost their base of voters. And I have to tell you this, you know, I'm in Yolo County. This is a very progressive blue county. My county hasn't voted for a Republican since 1952. We're the bluest county in the Central Valley of California. And I'm an I'm a independent 
And I'm a strong believer in smart reforms, and I've pursued those smart reforms, but I'm also very committed to victims and public safety. So when I talk about all of these things, I'm coming at you from a position of a, a guy who's been elected five times in a deep blue county. So I have the confidence of my constituents that are overwhelmingly Democrats, but I'm telling you, they've, they've had enough of this. And what we're seeing now in California is um, their, the pendulum is about to swing back. Well, I, I hope you're right. Um, I mean, one of the best examples, are you, do you follow baseball at all? I'm not a huge sports fan, but um, I was reading um, over, the, over the past couple of days. And there's a guy named Shohei Otani, who's a baseball player. And uh, he plays for the Angels, but now he's signed with the Dodgers. And then there is a, you know, a future Hall of Famer um, who is a former Giant who was trying to woo. And he tries to woo all of these free agents for the San Francisco Giants. And what he found, um, and he was open with it for the first time this week, Jeff, is that players and players' families come to San Francisco. They look around and they're like, oh, we don't want to live here. Like, we're not going to come here. Have you, have you heard about this story? I have heard about it. And it's yeah. very familiar to me. You know, what's really sad is that I, when I was younger and I lived in this area, like, we would look forward to going to San Francisco. We would me and my friends would plan on it. We would have shopping trips to San Francisco because they had the greatest stores, um, most of which are closed now. Um, and we would go there and just spend a day in San Francisco shopping, going to the waterfront, you know, do, walking in Golden Gate Park. Um, those days are done. And now politicians in California can say, no, 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 you know, you're, you're going, you know, you're over the top. But I believe those days are done. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm a California kid. I was born in the Bay Area. I've been up in Northern California ever since. And, you know, from my county to downtown San Francisco, it's about an hour and a half drive. I used to routinely go down there and shop at the stores. I'd take my wife and my family. We'd go to Broadway. We'd go to the parks. That all stopped about five or six years ago as the city started to decay and decline. And what you see down there now really is a dystopian reality. I mean, the streets are filthy. There's homeless, uh, addicted, and mentally ill people all over the city. It's not safe. Cars are broken into every day, a thousand times a day, all over that region. Um, crime is up. Police are demoralized. Um, you've got 500 cops, uh, uh, understaffed, 500 cops in the city of San Francisco. And ultimately, all of that, it doesn't just come down to mismanagement within the city, which I think there has been. But it's a statewide issue as well. And San Francisco is really ground zero for all of the misguided reforms that have triggered this total decay in civilization. And I say that, it breaks my heart to say that, because San Francisco used to be one of the most beautiful cities in the world, and now it's an absolute train wreck. So, you know, this to me, I think what you're seeing in San Francisco, and you brought up what, um, you know, this Giants ball player is saying, you know, that's what I'm hearing from everybody who's being honest. It's only the politicians that are trying to defend their ideology that continue to say that there's something else going on. Now, you hear politicians say, oh, no, you know, these aren't being, you know, these aren't being, these numbers are, are not true. You know, they are, they're wrong on the, you know, the number of crimes, the crimes have actually gone down. Um, what do you, what's your, what's your response to that? It's laughable. I mean, first of all, you know, they're basically saying to people, don't believe your lying eyes. Walk around San Francisco, ask people who live there, including, I mean, it's a deep blue city. 
and the folks that lived there threw out their DA a few years ago because he was contributing to the decay. But regarding the data in particular, there is a problem with the data, and I'll just give you one example, retail theft. The numbers that are reported every year to the state of California Attorney General are vastly underreported. And the reason why is because many retailers and other people, just regular victims, have figured out that the system isn't going to do anything even if they do report the theft because it's a de minimis crime in California. And so they just stop reporting. I have confirmed that directly with big box retailers, including you know some of the names that everybody knows. They're only reporting, at least in my county, I've nailed them down, only about 15% of all of the thefts that have occurred in their stores throughout the county. Now multiply that by a population of 40 million people in California, and you see that there is a massive underreporting problem. That's just one example. But I've heard that narrative from, from some of the politicians and some of the, the newspapers that seem to defend their position, and it's just, it's laughable. Yeah, um, I, I'll give you my example. So I live in a very, you know, it's a very exclusive area. Um, I talked about it before here on the show up in the foothills outside of Sacramento. And so I say that for a reason. I say that it, like I wasn't downtown, right? I wasn't like in a, I wasn't in San Francisco. I was in this exclusive um, enclave and I go into I go into the Walgreens. And I had seen a young woman, she, it was like 92 degrees outside, but she had on a big puffy jacket. Um, she looked like she was 22. And she was sitting with a guy who looked like he was about 58. And they were just sitting outside, you know, kind of talking to each other, looking at people as they walked in. So, you know, I do my thing. I, I lock my car doors and I go in. Um, and then she walked in after me and she is in front of where the medicines are, you know, the ones that you can buy, you don't have to go to the pharmacist. And she is like looking at the mirror and then looking back at the cash register, looking at the mirror, looking back, you know, like she's not doing anything yet. Right. Um, that's not how I shop. Um, I don't look in the, I don't look in the mirrors to see where the clerks are when I'm going in to buy, you know, some, some stuff. So I went and I bought my, uh, bought a little thing of, uh, not Cracker Jacks, but something like that. Some caramel corn. I got to like hankering for caramel corn every once in a while. And, uh, and I go to there. I go there and I told the two staffers, the two cashiers who were hanging out uh, at the, you know, behind the register. And I said, hey, I want to let you know there's a woman over there with a big puffy jacket. It's 92. Um, and she keeps looking at you guys in the mirrors to see where you're located. And she's staying around and, you know, she's hanging out in front of these medicines. And they looked at me and they go, yeah. There's nothing we can do about that. And I looked at them and I, Jeff, I was like, well, then why the fuck am I paying? Like, if you're just handing the shit out, why am I paying? Why are people who obey the laws actually falling through with that contract and giving you money if you're not even going to stop people like this from stealing your shit? So um, it's very, very frustrating. Those things aren't even reported because they don't even consider it theft, Jeff. So, Jeff, that that's just my understanding. And as I as I as I referred to earlier, as I talked about earlier, um, you know, that goes with that social contract. So I obviously, you know, my being a lobbyist, you know, what I make is public record. So I obviously can go in there and get me some Cracker Jack and it's not going to break me. Right. But what do you do if you're living in an apartment, you're struggling to make your car payment, you're struggling to pay your rent, um, food, all the prices keep going up and you're in there and inherently you're, you're a decent person, but you see four other people walking out without paying. 
at some point, because of your internal struggles, my concern is we just have a societal breakdown and everybody goes, hey, I understand you're supposed to pay, but look, no one else is. So what am I supposed to do? Um, do you think that we're like at that point where that things like that could be happening? hundred percent. And, you know, this culture of lawlessness that you are referencing through this story is exactly what we have seen around California in the last 10 years. And let's just take it back to why, because people, you know, a lot of everyday people say, why is this happening? It's happening because laws were passed in Sacramento and some on the ballot that decriminalized certain crimes. It, it lessened the penalty for theft so low that there's essentially little to no deterrence anymore, certainly no consequence of, of substance to stop people from stealing. And so you see this increased culture of lawlessness, exactly like you described, because if all these thousands of people are doing it, I mean, go online, you can find videos all day of smashing grabs. Why the heck wouldn't I do it? I mean, why would I be the sucker that pays for this $20, you know, six pack of beer when I can just walk out the door and nothing's going to happen. And that literally is happening across California at a, a magnitude I can't even explain to you. And that's not anecdotal. That's, we have data that shows that we're talking to the retailers. And as a long-term DA, I just say unequivocally, it has never been so bad in California because of that culture. Well, why do the retailers allow that to happen? Well, it, it they're not allowing that to happen. What, you know, what's going on is when the laws were decriminalized. So when theft, for example, was taken from, a, it used to be a felony if you took over $450 or if you previously had two or more convictions for misdemeanor theft, the DA could charge you with a felony. A felony is a more serious crime. It exposes you to real penalty. And we would then be able to go out and arrest those people. Police would respond. They would arrest. I would prosecute and people would then either go to prison or jail or we'd get them into a program. Once the law was changed that took those crimes down to a misdemeanor, including eliminating petty theft with a prior as a felony, it can never be a felony in California now under the current law, which means you can steal up to $950 every single day, multiple times a day, and it's a misdemeanor. What does that mean? It's a ticket. You get a citation. You don't go to jail right away. And even if you do get convicted, you're not going to serve any jail time because of the reforms. What that has led to, to answer your question, is there's been a decrease in accountability, a decrease in the police's ability to respond and arrest, which has then driven down the retailer uh, reporting rate. And so you have a lot of retailers who, you know, they're really, they're hit by this, this retail theft issue, but they also can't report 100 thefts a day when they're trying to sell product and manage the store at the same time. So they just stop reporting. Mm -hmm. I, you know who I feel for are these um, poor, poor retail workers. They're in there. They're working their asses off. They're making, you know, I don't know. They probably make, you know, 18, 19 dollars an hour, which in California is nothing. Um, and, you know, they have to sit there and have their pride stepped on by people just walking right in front of them and taking, you know, everything off that shelf that they just, you know, they thought that there was an agreement here, right? I really feel for these retail workers. And that's why I think now you're seeing some of these retail workers actually fight back. And of course, that's who the media focuses on, right? They focus on the target worker who fights back because he's, he's sick of being stepped on all day 
But all of this is self-inflicted, in my opinion, Jeff. It's all self-inflicted by the voters of California who have not cared who they put into office. Yeah, that's they- right. That you're, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. And it's even worse than that for the, the folks, the team members of work in these retail stores, because the violence, this culture of lawlessness that we've been talking about that's escalated because of the reforms and the liberal policies has also resulted in more violence against staff than we've ever seen. You have people who are getting murdered at Home Depot and 7-Eleven and Macy's, and you've got people who are being routinely beaten, and they're just working behind the counter. And these thieves come in, and this culture of lawlessness has created this, it's chaos. Yeah. And, and again, it, it comes down to who people vote for. You know, and I, I say it to my own family, like, wake up, open your eyes, stop voting down the party line just because that's what you've been told to do. Look at what these people actually believe on these policies. Right. Right. And of course, it's not it's not uh, it's not an either or Democrat or Republican. There are people on all sides who have all sorts of opinions. But focus on this. Focus on this issue, because um, this is the one that affects all of us every day. And you know what? The other thing that I think is going to be, you know, so, so dangerous. And honestly, it's more sad than dangerous is that there are children who are growing up in this environment. There are children who are, have to walk down the sidewalks and they see things on the sidewalk that I never thought I would see in California. And that is going to be their normal. They're going to think, oh, that's how life is. That's how California is. Have you seen any of that occurring as you know we, we expose our children to this over the past decade? Well, yeah, two things for you. First of all, I recently took my own children to a breakfast in Sacramento. And as we walked to the restaurant, there was somebody in the gutter, literally laying in the gutter with a heroin needle in their arm. And I had to explain to my my daughter why that was happening and why it was allowed. Mm-hmm. At the same time this morning, driving in to do this interview with you, uh, I was listening to a story. And then I watched the video of kids going to school in San Francisco and having to be escorted by a group of adults through a drug infested neighborhood. Mm-hmm. It is so maddening to me, all of yeah. it. And it all again, this comes back to the people we are voting for. And to your point, this isn't just a one party thing. Right. There are people. On, on all sides of the aisle that have misguided ideas on criminal justice. But I keep saying we got to dig into the meat and potatoes of these policies and vote for people who are at least more moderate. Mm-hmm. Look at my county, it's all Democrats here. There's no, it's only Democrats. I'm looking for those Democrats who support public safety and law and order. Um, one of the other, uh, so I've thought about this a lot. You know, I, I think there are kind of four things that are all feeding into this, Jeff. And um, one is the um, demeaning of police officers in our society, largely driven again by these NGOs, nonprofits, and coordination with the media who laps it up, right? And anytime they can drag a police officer, you know, through the dirt, they do. Um, I also see it as, as you said, the decriminalization, where things that were, and you know, you you touch on it very briefly, but I really want to drive this home. I can go out, Jeff, and steal nine hundred dollars of worth of material, worth of you know, um, goods, one hundred times today, and I will not go to jail. You know, I could because they don't allow you to add it up. You're not allowed to add it up. So I can steal it a thousand times and criminals know bad guys know bad guys talk. They know that they know the rules better than many DAs do. And they know, nah, bro, 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 that's $975. Put that back. That one's only $850. So um, that's another big part of this, Jeff. Uh, and that was in Prop 47, the what, Safe Schools and Neighborhoods Act? Was that what it was called? That's right. 
Yeah. Um, and that was passed by the people of California because it had a friendly name. And then the uh, the other one is, of course, jail. And that was, again, another Governor Jerry Brown deal. Jerry Brown said it's better if prisoners who are felons, for those who aren't familiar, felon, you know, felons go to prison. Those are the more serious crimes. You can have people who are picked up for shoplifting and other crimes. Those are the guys that go to jail or felons who are maybe waiting for their, you know, their their adjudication of their offense. Um, But primarily there are folks who, you know, who are serving time for minor crimes and again, waiting to go to court. Um, But Jerry Brown, in his wisdom, because, you know, he's the smartest guy in the world, just ask him. He said people deserve to be local. So he moved felons to county jails. What that had a couple of things. One, it made county jails much more violent. And secondly, now guys that are shoplifting, they don't even go to jail because it's impacted because it's filled with felons. So to me, those are the you know three of the prongs. The fourth prong, of course, um, Jeff, as you're very, very familiar with, is the fight against bail. Um, bail is really important in the sense that when you commit a crime, you put bail down as a your word that you will return to answer for those crimes. Um, these nonprofits over the past, you know, three or four years have had, or like five or six years, have been pushing to go to zero bail. In other words, you don't even have to put your word down that you're going to come back to jail uh, or to 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 court to be tried for that offense. You're just let go, um, and you give them a, with a wink and a smile. I know that you know that when we have low bail or no bail, that people just don't return to court to answer for their crimes. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. So in California, we actually had an experiment with zero bail during COVID. And the short version is we had a Supreme Court order that ordered every county in California to adopt a zero bail schedule. Um, because they didn't want to fill the jails with people who might get sick and die, which at the time seemed to make sense. But what that means, what zero bail means, is you can go out and commit um, misdemeanors or certain felonies like auto theft and burglary, and you will be immediately released back into the community. You won't spend any time in jail. They don't do a risk assessment. They don't talk to the victim. They don't look at your criminal history. You're just released and told you need to come back six weeks from now to appear in court. Well, I was the only DA in California that tracked that data, and we did a very comprehensive study on the impacts of it. And the short version is we compared people who were released on zero bail to those who were released on posted bail. People who are released on zero bail commit 200% more violent crime than people who are on the traditional posted bail. They commit 161% more total crime, and their failure to appear rate in court is close to 80%. They just don't come back. And when we really dug into it, we found that people who were released on zero bail, many were reoffending that exact same day, committing other felony offenses. We had some committed murder, uh, rape, assault, child molest. It was an absolute disaster of a policy from any any you know fair analysis, yet as you point out, there is still a very strong movement from some very wealthy um, people to implement zero bail in California and beyond. The reason this gets me so mad, Jeff, is because the people that are pushing this, the people in those NGOs and nonprofits, the uber wealthy people, people like Jerry Brown, again, who's behind most of this, 
they don't live in these neighborhoods where these people who get arrested for stealing your car are immediately released to. They don't live in these neighborhoods where when the guy in the apartment next to you beats up his wife and then you report him that he's immediately released and he's coming back to your apart to the apartment next door to you. They don't live in these areas. The people that are pushing this live behind gated communities. They live in other countries and they don't have to, you know, reap the consequences of what they've sown like the poor people who are in those apartment complexes that are stuck. So have you seen that too? It's so true. And it's really ironic to me because a lot of the, the push from the, the reformers is that they want to address inherent disparities um, in the criminal justice system, particularly the disadvantaged, underprivileged or people of color. Yet the policies that they have implemented have resulted in more victimization in the neighborhoods involving people of color. And I've seen it every single day. It's exactly right. The people that are suffering the most from a lot of these reforms are poorer people, um, people of color that live in underserved communities. And it's just it's the greatest irony of these reforms. It's hurt more people than they ever uh, could have imagined. Yeah. And it also it, what it also has done, it, it has created a situation where um, people don't want to report a crime. Right. And we're not talking about theft anymore, but they don't report a crime because they know with all of these zero bail policies, these people are going to be immediate released and they're going to be right back in that complex or right back next door to these people. So it's like not even worth it to report the stuff when you see it. Yeah, uh, we've heard that from victims for sure that, you know, why would they bother to report somebody for committing a crime knowing that person will be back in the neighborhood that night to pay them a visit? We've heard it straight from their mouths. Have you heard of the zero bail project? I have. I've been tracking those movements. So the Zero Bail Project, for those of you who have been tracking them um, or following them, uh, they're a group, again, funded by, you know, uber, uber wealthy people. Um, they're a nonprofit. And what they do is they raise money and they go and release people. They pay the bail for people. Um, but what we're seeing, Jeff, and you let me know if you're seeing this also, is that these people are releasing people that immediately go back into the communities and they continue to inflict harm. In fact, the, the bail project is being sued in Indiana for releasing someone who immediately went back out and committed murder. So are they active in California? Because I think they're one of the most dangerous elements out here when it comes to public safety. The same groups have been active in California. And the real thing that's, that bothers me about those those efforts is, first of all, I, I understand that there is some need for bail reform, and I actually support smart bail reform. But what groups like that are doing is reckless because they are posting bail for individuals without doing a deep dive into who these individuals are, what their criminal history is, and what their risk is. What risk do they pose to their community? And as a result, you've seen situations where these groups have posted bail without doing their due diligence, and then people get killed. That's irresponsible and reckless, and I, I think that those organizations have blood on their hands. So how do we get out of this? Are you doing anything to, uh, to, to help us get out of this? Do you think it's hopeless, or what, what do you think we can do next to try and save this once very, very beautiful state? It's a great question, and you know the response is really simple. We have to vote differently. We have to vote for both candidates that support our values on public safety and also vote for initiatives that can help fix some of these, these problems in the laws. So I'm involved with a group of 
disc attorneys and retailers and business owners and victims that are trying to get something on the ballot in November of 24 to specifically reverse certain uh, reforms to bring back accountability, to bring back mandated treatment in drug courts, to bring back consequences for repeat thieves. And the good news is uh, we have huge momentum right now, and I'm pretty confident that this is going to be on the ballot. And if it passes, it's going to change the game in California. And I think that we will start swinging back to more of a middle ground where we need to be. Yeah. Are retailers going to be helpful in this or are retailers? Absolutely. Yeah, no, the, oh, really? Yeah. No, the retailers are on board with us on this. We've got um, we're already we're working this initiative um, with them. Um, you know, they've contributed financially, which, again, you know, follow the money. Uh, the retailers are in businesses are in victims are in. I would call this um, a growing movement that I predict by, you know, middle of next year, this is all you're going to be hearing about in public safety is this effort. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, if I, if, you know, my past indicates the future for me, I would say that the legislature will probably try to pass some bills to undercut it. Um, I would like to, I would wish they would go and try to pass some bills to, to pass what it's trying to do, but I, I actually think they're, they'll probably try to undercut it. I hope I'm wrong. Um, by the way, California is having some uh, informational hearings on uh, on uh, retail theft. Um, I think it's today. Uh, December nineteenth is the, is this first um, this this thing they're doing. Which uh, you know, I've been around a long time, and I've worked in the legislature a long time as a DA. At least testified over there. Um, I agree with you that the, first of all, the legislature cannot do anything directly to fix Proposition Forty Seven because that requires it to go back to the people. By, by law, any amendment to Prop 47, which was the movement or, or the initiative that decriminalized hard drugs, took it to a misdemeanor and also lessened the penalty for, for theft, which is what's driving these crises, must go back to the ballot for the people to vote on. And so the legislature can't do anything. Um, they'll say that they can in order to try and you know, kill initiatives, but they can't. And then the second thing is, uh, look, for over a decade, I've watched the legislature do nothing but water down criminal laws in California. And I have zero expectation, unfortunately, that they're going to do anything meaningful in California to get us on track. No. Yeah. Unfortunately, and when it comes to criminal justice, what they will do is study it to death when it well, when it comes to pro criminal justice um, issues. Um, last question for you. Los Angeles DA, George Gascon, what motivates a guy like that to go become a DA and then completely become a public defender in sheep's clothing? Like what, what is in that guy's head that'll, that makes him do that? Follow the money. And George was elected DA uh, through massive donations. So this isn't complicated. Follow the money. And that's what you get. And, you know, look, George, um, you know, he, he's a powerful person. And you, you look at the millions that funded his campaign, almost all of it comes back to the same groups that are absolutely inconsistent with public safety we're talking about. Are you afraid? Are you afraid saying something like that? Are you afraid saying George Soros's name out in public and follow the money? I'm assuming you're not, but I just want to make sure I hear it from you. I'm not afraid. I mean, George Soros has funded, uh, he's put billions of dollars into electing 
progressive district attorneys across the country. Um, they've tried to take out DAs like myself. I, I'd call myself a moderate DA in a deep blue county. They've come for me multiple times and I've, I've defeated them. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, his networks and, and what, you know, it, it's a complicated web with the money, but he puts in billions, which then go into all of these non these these NGOs, these nonprofits with different names that then make massive donations to candidates to get them elected. To me, it's sinister. To me, it's been a total failure. I challenge my my colleagues on the progressive side to show me examples of the success. And here I sit 18 years as a DA, and I can't tell you a single success that they've had other than destroying some of our cities. Yeah, it is very sinister. If you follow the money, you follow that web. Yeah, it is very, very sinister. If you have a little free time for some of our uh, viewers, uh, you should go on a little rabbit hole on that. Um, Jeff, this has been amazing. Um, I, I hope uh, I hope California can can bring itself out of the uh, out of the abyss that it finds itself as far as far as public safety goes right now. Um, I hope our, our children have the ability to walk down clean sidewalks sometime. Um, but, you know, hopefully you will make that happen when with your new uh, initiative and um, that'll be on the ballot. When do you hope? November of 2024. OK, very good. Well, we will we will keep talking about that then. And I can't thank you enough, Jeff. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're out there prosecuting the bad guys. So thanks for taking the time with a little guy like me. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, man. Bye bye. Hey, if you like what you hear, like and subscribe. It really means a lot. And we would love to have you coming back every week. Thank you.